Language is the operating system of society. That's how we interact, discuss, communicate, and decide. Learning how to operate in the main language of the operating system of the dominating society is an advantage, and not being able to do that disadvantages you in opportunities, in access to things, in perception of value, etc. Learning one language is a bypass for being able to communicate. I think until we have something where we could be having this interview in real time in different languages and not be an issue, I think having a common language is a more efficient solution to that communication problem. We might not be far away from that, but we're not there yet. Welcome to another episode of TI Talks, breaking down the tech and bringing you closer to the mind shaping the digital world. Today, we're diving into the realms of language, communication, and AI with Vasco Pedro, CEO and co-founder of Unbabble. With over $91 million in funding and a team spread across the globe, Unbabble's innovative approach has attracted the attention of some of the world's leading brands, including Facebook, Microsoft, Booking.com, and EasyJet, who all rely on Unbabble to connect with their customers in a truly localized manner. In this episode, Vasco shares his insights on the impact of language and business and society, the evolution of communication technology, and how AI is reshaping how we think about language learning and translation. But I'm sure you'd rather hear it from him. So without further ado. In 2011, I came back to Portugal after finishing my PhD uh, and had started a couple of companies before and I met my now co-founder and CTO and he had finished his PhD in machine translation. The initial conversation came from a friend that had an Airbnb and he would say things like, well, you know, like I can reply in English, but in French I can get by, but then the Germans try to rent this thing and I need to reply in the phone. This is 2013, so it's like Google Translate was not great. And so I don't even know if I'm saying something that is idiotic. And so we started thinking about this uh, sense that AI was going to disrupt this area, but you needed hybrid models where you needed the validation of humans and how do you actually leverage AI to make those humans very efficient was kind of the original idea. And the way we describe it now kind of evolved a little bit. It's still the same idea, but now we realize more the scope of it. Uh, now our mission is very much kind of how do we make it easy for companies to operate in multiple languages. Uh, and that typically is through translation, but translation ends up being a part of it. You have a business, you go into a new market, let's say you're a you know, UK company and now you want to sell in Germany. And suddenly you're like, well, how do I market my product? How do I sell it? How do I support my new potential customers, right? How do I get my website in German? These are all problems that are very pragmatic. If you have an e-commerce website, you know, your product descriptions need to be in the language of the people who are going to buy them. But it's, it's complicated to solve because it's kind of painful and it's an ongoing thing, right? If you have an e-commerce store, you have new product coming in all the time. So you need to have a way of doing it in a scalable way, right? And so that's really what we want to solve. We want to make that easy, right? There should be a way, a platform to unbabble uh, that you can go into, plug into your tools like Zendesk and WordPress and other things that you use and just make the process easy and simple. When you come from a country where English is not a native language, getting into English is kind of access to the international market, right? And so it's, it's particularly crucial. And if you go to countries like Japan or Brazil, where uh, the level of English maybe is not quite as good as in other places, but the markets are big enough to support internal companies, so there's kind of less of a need, you're basically creating a bubble that, that, that has a lot of friction on accessing international markets. And then from English to other languages, it means English still gives you access to 25% of the world, right? So you go into, into big markets like China or a bunch of countries in, in, in Africa or in Middle Eastern countries, 
and suddenly you have a almost different set of products, services, information sources, right? You look at where do people read their information typically is through social network, media outlets that write in their language, right? And so that, for example, tends to create polarization, right? Because you're the, 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 you end up being limited to the point of view of your language, which a lot of times is allocated to a particular country, right? Which might have a particular point of view on a particular subject, and you're not getting exposed to other, uh, other opinions in the matter. I think language has an impact not only from the ability for business to scale, but our ability to understand the world and each other's positions on a topic. So it's particularly crucial in a time where polarization is such a big issue that we can really bridge the gap uh, between languages. So if you're in customer service, if you are in a country that doesn't speak English or you're not a, not a, a non-speaking English as a native country, typically a worst access to customer service. So British Airways in Portuguese is open nine to five, six days a week. In English is open 24 seven, seven days a week, right? So you have less access. Uh, if you interact with someone that has a strong accent or a difficulty with the language uh, in English and you're a native English speaker, it's very easy to dismiss their intelligence, their intellect, right? Because they have a hard time expressing themselves. And we do this, there's this, there's this language bias right away. Uh, if you speak uh, a language that is not mine, I tend to immediately say, okay, you're not part of my tribe. So trust is harder to, to go by, right? And a lot of the decisions happen in a global level, happen in English. A lot of the culture is driven by English, which I'm not against at all. And I think that it is, it is important and it makes sense that there is one language and English is certainly a great language to communicate with. It's pragmatic, it's effective, it's very functionally driven. Um, and every language has a period, right? Like there was a time where Latin was the language and there was a time the French was the language. And I'm sure there's a bunch of others in Asia. There's been a bunch of variations of you know, Chinese and Japanese, depending on motions. Um, Try to remember where the Mongolians spoke when Genghis Khan was conquering the biggest empire, right? There is a part of spreading culture and influence that, that goes through a language, right? I mean, language is the operating system of society. Uh, that's how we interact, discuss, communicate, and decide. Um, and so learning how to operate in the main language of the operating system of the dominating society is an advantage and not being able to do that disadvantages you in opportunities in access to things in perception of value etc on one hand i think it's good it, learning one language is a bypass for being able to communicate i think until we have something that truly can real time you know like where we could be having this interview in real time in different languages and not be an issue i think having a common language is a more efficient solution to that communication problem um, we might not be far away from that, but we're not there yet. We very much believe in kind of having a spectrum of solutions that go from the fully automated to the fully human with a very strong hybrid model in between. Uh, and the hybrid model enables you to have humans that come in and address the nuances and the cultural differences and kind of inject that part while you have the AI doing a lot of the repetitive uh, boring tasks. It's been a while since computers beat humans in chess. I, literally no one can beat a computer in chess anymore for 10 years. There's never been as many people learning chess as there are now. Or people learning how to ride horses or to play instruments that we have stereos, right? I think learning language is a cognitive amplifier. It's great for, for brain development. Uh, it helps us think in different ways. 
And so I think there will always be the, the curiosity and desire to learn new languages. Now, there's 7,000 languages in the world. I don't know of anyone that speaks more than five, maybe seven, right? Some people claim 10, but like even then, right? So if you want to enable people that speak in 7,000 languages to communicate, you can't rely on a human learning languages anyway, right? Well, I think it's inevitable that learning languages will become a hobby that is really good brain, brain amplification, is good for your brain, the same way that playing chess is, the same way that learning an instrument or riding a horse or other things. Language is such a living being that you want to give it space to evolve uh, and to grow and to flourish and to change. So there's a bunch of dead languages like Latin and others that were very popular at the time. Latin was you know, the base of the Roman Empire. No one speaks Latin anymore because there's a lot of languages that were based on that but evolved, right? Like Italian and Portuguese and French, etc. You need that ability for evolution, right? And that evolution typically comes from humans filling in gaps or, or, or trying to modify language to create connection and community and differentiate themselves, differentiate themselves from the status quo of that language. Like a very typical example in any language is teenagers tend to reinvent the language to kind of create their clique and to kind of differentiate themselves from the previous generation. Um, that's an important uh, movement of language and it's important for us humans to be able to do it, right? So you kind of want to preserve language but also give it space to evolve and change and even sometimes die in the form that you understand it. If you leverage AI to artificially preserve a language, then you're also uh, making it harder for the language to evolve. And because we really need language to be able to think about topics and you need to have specific ways of engaging with those topics, um, if you prevent language evolution, in a way you're gonna be preventing thought evolution, which I think is very needed. Our biggest use case started, we started in the customer service area. So enabling customer service agents to respond to emails and chat in a bunch of languages. So if you're you know, an agent in a, in a contact center, you get an email in German or Chinese or Spanish. By the time you read it, it's in English, you reply in English, the customer gets it in the original language. As far as they know, they're talking to a native customer service agent. Um, and so that lot of, I mean, a lot of companies don't disclose that they use Babel in the back end to do this, but a lot of well-known brands, when you're sending an email, you're actually going through us. Um, and now we've expanded to websites, to marketing content, to sales collateral, to product descriptions, to you know, kind of all the other use cases. Every company that is consumer-based, consumer-facing, tends to have a budget that a lot of times very large for enabling multilingual operations. So, you know, Microsoft probably spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year in language-related tasks, right? And so from e-commerce to uh, medical, to uh, travel, to gaming, to tech, to like, they all end up relying a lot on different translation and language technologies to operate in different markets. I think there's never been a, a, a big technological revolution that didn't lead to a bunch of new jobs. Right? If you take in this revolution, very obvious, right? You have the assembly line and suddenly the jobs that happened in the assembly line didn't happen before. There's never been a case where the increase in GDP didn't lead to more jobs. So there's no reason to think they wouldn't be the same here. I mean, I think we're, AI is gonna enable us to create a lot of value. And I think those, that value will be converted into jobs. It's hard to predict things that don't exist yet, right? Like, because we're, we tend to think linearly, but actually technology evolves exponentially and that leads to 
nonlinear situations, right? Like we all thought by now we'd have a hover hoverboard and we have social networks, right? And no one really thought about that. AI is a very disruptive force. We built in Babel based on the premise that AI was going to be this disruptive force, but I don't think the industry was fully ready for it as most other industries aren't, right? And so there's pressure from that perspective. The other kind of change is that most of the industry's geared is, is built on this concept of predictable finite projects of translation. It's like, okay, I'm going to translate this thing. But the world went from project-based to stream-based, right? We're constantly creating content and you need to think of pipelines of translation that scale. And so that's definitely a challenge in the market. The other is pricing for translation was built around the concept of human word. So a human translating this word costs X. And then if I have technology that helps, I'll deduct that. But actually there's only so much you can deduct before it's zero. So that creates a lot of pressure in, in industries. And I think the world's shifting to AI first. So most companies, when they try to translate something, they'll try AI first. And if it works, and in 50% of the time it will, great, that is the right solution. And when it isn't, you know, but that should be, that's still creating value. So you need to pay for that. And then if that is not sufficient, you should be able to add more layers to kind of get to the quality that you need. And, uh, um, and so the pricing, instead of being based on a human word, should be based on AI, an AI word. Worry and concern is a normal human response. This is a very powerful technology for good and for bad, right? And so I think every, like given the, the pace of innovation, everyone should be using their fear to be educated, to inform themselves, to be knowledgeable, to understand how the role could evolve in the next six months, a year, kind of prepare and embrace it, right? Like we have sometimes a tendency to avoid change and to resist it. Democracies built to be a bit resistant to change because sometimes abrupt change is not the best thing. But when it comes to technology, like especially with AI, that change is coming, right? And so I think it's important that we use this as a way of being prepared for it and to use it to drive the outcome for good, right? Because I think certainly there's that massive potential. As we close this episode of TI Talks, we'd like to thank Vasco Pedro for providing such a detailed exploration of how AI innovates communication, linguistics, and translation. Be sure to subscribe to TI Talks wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll continue to decode the world of tech with more thought-provoking discussions and insights from industry experts. Until then, thank you for listening. Stay informed.